0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, and today we are wrapping up our year in positional reviews, looking at the all-important special teams, talking about the futures of Young Way Koo, Thomas Morstead, and Pro Bowl long snapper Josh Harris, but more importantly, talking about the future of return specialist Cordero Patterson and whether or not the Falcons should play hardball with their negotiations with him this offense. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, I've been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at falcfans.com. RIP, still going strong on Twitter at falcfans, and of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And before we get into today's uh, year in positional review of the all-important special teams, it really does matter, folks. I do want to thank you guys for making Locked Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Locked Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, odyssey google spotify and of course now on youtube make sure you subscribe to the locked on falcons youtube channel and give us a like when you do so today we're wrapping up our year in positional reviews where we've gone through the offense we've gone through the defense and now we've gotten to the most important phase of the game special teams and the reason why it's most important because the falcons special teams was the best part of their team this year particularly After a certain point in the season, when they signed our Lord and Savior, that is, of course, Thomas Morstead. And for those of you that don't know, the Falcons were 23rd in DVOA, uh, according to Football Outsiders this season, but in their weighted DVOA, which puts more value on late season play, the Falcons ranked ninth. And again, I don't know exactly where they were once they signed, Thomas Morehead in week 12 ahead of that Jaguars game. But I can certainly say looking at the numbers and comparing them to the other teams that were among the top in the league in that weighted DVOA metric at the end of the season, I think the Falcons probably over the last five or six games of the season were probably in the top three, uh, according to Football Outsiders special teams metrics. And we know Thomas Morstead had a great season, Uh, would have been on my Pro Bowl ballot if he was eligible to be on the ballot. Uh, He finished sixth in Pro Football Focus's punter rankings, although interesting enough, they were 14th during his time with the Falcons. They graded him out as an average punter, basically, in the seven games that he played with the Falcons. And so we will dismiss PFFs heresy in this regard they just have not been able to keep the faith when it comes to Thomas Morestead but he was outstanding this season he's also an impending free agent so we'll get uh, towards the end of today's episode we'll talk about you know the Falcons re-upping with him But uh, fellow impending free agent, this time a restricted free agent, we'll talk later about the difference between restricted and unrestricted free agency as it applies to Young-Way Koo, the Falcons kicker. We know he had an outstanding season. He was on my Pro Bowl ballot, uh, was an alternate for the Pro Bowl team, was rated as PFFs. You know, this time they were not being heretical uh, with their grading of Young-Way Koo. He was their third highest graded kicker in the league this year on field goals. Um, So we know he had a great season. Josh Harris was PFF's number one rated long snapper, and he did legitimately make the Pro Bowl, uh, you know, due to his ability in coverage. And finally, after what, like nine years in the NFL, he got uh, recognized for his greatness. And so all in all, the Falcons special teams, the core special teams players and the kicker, the punter and long snapper all had outstanding seasons all of these guys are free agents, Harris included. Uh, and so I think the Falcons really do need to go out there and based off of how well this unit played down the stretch uh, and the fact that the Falcons don't really have a great offense, don't really have a, a great defense, and you know, having getting the edge in that special teams in that third phase that often gets overlooked, but not here on the Lockdown Falcons podcast. But that third phase could be instrumental in this team, particularly against a much harder schedule where the margin for error Probably is going to be a little bit slimmer than it was in 2021. So I think the Falcons should do whatever they can to retain all three of these players this offseason. I don't think there's any reason to sort of pinch pennies when it comes to some of these guys. You know, you pay them what they're worth, and we'll get, you know, at the end of today's episode, we'll get into what I kind of think some of these guys are worth. But, you know, as we continue today's lockdown Falcons, there's still some areas of the special teams that we do need to talk about. We need to talk about the return game. We need to talk about the coverage units. And when we talk about the return game, there is another impending free agent. That is Cordero Patterson. And I'm going to, you know, don't want anybody to, to, to come for me. But, you know, my hot take of the day, as we're going to unpack as we continue today's lockdown Falcons, is that, I think the Falcons probably should pinch pennies when it comes to re-signing Cordero Patterson. I'll explain exactly why I think that um, and why I don't think he's necessarily a priority re-signing or at least as big a priority re-signing as some of the other Falcons impending pending free agents. And we'll get into all of that as we continue today's Locked on Falcons podcast, guys. But before we get there, I do want to plug the various other shows here on the Locked on Podcast Network that if you're not ready to say goodbye to the 2021 NFL football season, of course, you can get the lowdown on the last game of the season by checking out Locked on Bengals, Locked on Rams, Locked on NFL, Peacock and Williamson all week long on the same podcast platforms that you are currently listening and or watching Locked on Falcons. And That being said, we know that the football season is now at its end, and some of you, again, may not be ready to let that go. Uh, But, you know, just because football season is over doesn't mean that betting season is over because BetOnline.net has got you locked on all off-season long, all season long in 2022. And, you know, you got basketball, pro, and college hoops are in full swing, and it's not just football. It's not just basketball because at BetOnline.net, net is your number one source for hockey, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. So go check out BetOnline.net. It's the best place for sports scores, podcasts, news, odds, total, player props, futures bets if you want to be like yours truly and, and taking a bet on who's going to win the Super Bowl next year. You can do that, of course, at BetOnline.net. So head over to the website today. Use your mobile device to sign up and learn more about the trends in action line, where the game starts. So let's get into uh, the Falcons' other aspects of the special teams, talking about the coverage units in the return game. We'll, we'll get to the Cordero-Patterson hot take in a moment, but let's talk a little bit about the Falcons' coverage units. And my only takeaway from the 2021 season is that two players that made some pivotal plays late in the season on uh, the coverage units, Quadri enforcing forcing that fumble uh, against the 49ers that should have set up a, a go-ahead touchdown uh, early in that game, and then you had uh, Avery Williams forcing a fumble on a punt return against the Bills. That set up, uh, you know resulted in a safety uh, you know, that helped boost the Falcons in that game. You know, two players that made some pivotal plays uh, late in the season, but didn't really get that much action on special teams coverage. Uh, throughout the year and you know all I want to say is like I think those guys need to get more opportunities Olsen's interesting because when we drafted him back in 2019 one of the reasons why I talked about why I thought the Falcons drafted him was because of how effective and productive a special teams player he was in college at Pitt and that in comparison to player that they drafted two years prior to that in Brian Hill, that they wound up having to cut his rookie season because he didn't necessarily immediately carve out a role on special teams because he didn't have that special teams experience during his college career at Wyoming. And yet, despite Olison having that pedigree coming into the league, he hasn't really been a regular on the Falcon special teams unit. And I think that play where he forced that fumble against the 49ers is just a testament that he's a player that needs to get more production, I hope, uh, or more opportunities I hope he gets that in 2022 as part of the Falcons' regular special teams and coverage units. And Avery Williams was a player that we obviously know similarly was drafted because of how productive a special teams player he was at Boise State. He started out the season – on the Falcons coverage units tag team and with Cordero Patterson as the two primary gunners on the punt coverage units. But after that first month of the season, because Patterson basically graduated to being the team's RB1, and so therefore his role on coverage units was immediately removed. And Avery Williams, I think in part due to the injury to Isaiah Oliver being needed uh, to play more on defense, uh, didn't have uh, as much a role on, on the gunner until very late in the season until that those last two games against the Bills and, and whatnot. And we saw him make a play, and it was like, you know, my, my reaction to it was similar to uh, Okoye. Uh, in Infinity War uh, for you MC, MCU stands that will get this reference where where she's like, you know, why was she up there the whole time? And I'm like with Avery Williams, like why was he on the sideline the whole time on these pump coverage units when he could be making plays like that? And I have a similar sort of stance with Quadro Olison. So that, those are my main takeaways from the coverage units this year. Hopefully those guys will be mainstays on the coverage units in 2022 that they weren't. Obviously Avery Williams, in addition to, you know, flashing on those coverage units Late in the season, he was also the Falcons' uh, primary punt returner throughout the season. And then after Patterson, uh, due to injuries in the second half of the season, was limited as a kickoff returner. He sort of took over as the main regular guy. And he was very productive as a kickoff returner, uh, much more productive than he was as a punt returner. That's Avery Williams, of course, we're talking about. And according to PFF, you know, he was um, their number two highest graded kickoff returner in the league this past year. Uh, And meanwhile, he was pretty much an average punt returner based off of their grades. He was number 21 in that metric. And the only thing that's notable to me about the whole PFF grades was that the player that was the top graded punt returner in the league this year was Brandon Powell with the Rams who just won a Super Bowl uh, with that team. And it just continues the trend that started off a couple of years ago with Andre Roberts left Atlanta, where it seems like players that were punt returns for the Falcons uh, are not particularly productive and then leave Atlanta and then become very productive for their next team. And it's just kind of like, why can't we do this? And speaking of that, that gets us to uh, the the hot take of the day, which is I don't know if the Falcons should be making it that big a priority to re-sign Cordero Paris. I, basically, I think the Falcons probably should be playing hardball when it comes to the contract negotiations with Cordero Patterson. And I'm sure some of you are listening or watching and saying, okay, Aaron, that's not really that hot to take. You know, me and my friends have been talking about not keeping Cordero Patterson for months. And it's like, okay, that's fair. We, you know, we don't necessarily run in the same circles, but in the circles I run into the conversation about Cordero Patterson is not necessarily whether the Falcons should keep him. It's whether the Falcons can keep him. And I think the conversation kind of needs to be a little bit more and that's kind of what I'm getting into today and we won't necessarily fully unpack this as you know we'll probably get deeper into this as we approach free agency but I'm just going to lay the groundwork for ta- for now Um that I think the conversation should be more about should we re-sign Cordero Patterson and you know that's probably funny coming from me because I'm a big believer in explosive plays and we know that Cordero Patterson was a big part of the explosive plays. He was the second most explosive playmaker for the Falcons. When we're looking at those 20 plus yard plays that I put such an emphasis on. And so you would sit here and say, Aaron, you're sitting here saying that the Falcons should, you know, the Falcons were already one of the what four worst least explosive offenses in the league. And you're taking away like 25% or 22% of their explosive plays that Cordero Patterson was in their second most explosive playmaker. That doesn't, that doesn't mess with your philosophy and you'd be right. But and doing research, is kind of like Patterson's explosive plays. I think he had 10, 20-plus yard plays this year. I think nine of them came in like five games, that first Bucks game, the Giants game, the Washington game, the Jaguars game, and the Saints game. And then I think the only other big play he had was in the second uh, Bucks game where he hit that big long run that set up the, this touchdown run by Mike Davis Um, but like outside of those five games, like you look at Cordero Patterson's production and the other 11 games that he played, you know, whether it was rushing or receiving his production is pretty, again, it's not anything special. Like again, those five games, he was incredible. Those five games, he was instrumental in helping the Falcons, uh, win three of those games and certainly being in a position to win a fourth game against Washington. Um, so it's not to sit here and say that Cordero Patterson didn't have value this year. But the reality is, like, I don't know how much you can, how much stock you can put on Cordero Patterson having a repeat of those five games. And, like, when we talk about Cordero Patterson hitting free agency, you're looking at sort of him, Russell Gage, and, and Foyer Oluokun as the team's sort of top in-house th- uh, free agents that are sort of the priorities to resign. And I'm sure everybody has various opinions on where the Falcons should prioritize those guys. And, again... Probably the conversations, most of the people I talk to would probably put Patterson or, or Kun, uh number one or, or uh, number two on that list and probably Russell Gage a distant third on that list. But I kind of feel like Patterson should be the third guy. And I, I, I find I feel like that, not to say that I don't think the Falcons should be signed Cordero Patterson. I just think of those three guys, like I would be if I'm, you know, Terry Fontenot and I'm his cap negotiator, I'm probably playing hardest ball with Cordero Patterson when it comes to pinching pennies and, and scrimping and saving or whatever the case may be, because the way I kind of see it, like, you know, of those three players, ask yourself the question, which player is more likely to be replaced by a third round draft pick that the Falcons could have this Uh, Season. And you look at, you know, Russell Gage, and we talked about this in our positional review of the wide receiver that the production, the hit rate of finding rookie wide receivers and also free agent wide receivers that can outproduce what Russell Gage gave us this past season is pretty low. It's like 20 something percent, right? And so that's not a, a great hit rate that you're going to get a third round pick to come in and, and outproduce Russell Gage. And certainly there's not going to be a third round pick. It's not likely. Again, I don't know what the exact percentages are, but it doesn't seem likely that a third round pick is going to come in and outproduce Foye Alubakun and give you the 374 tackles or whatever he had this past season and be the leader of your defense and be the guy that can carry the green dot as that Mike linebacker in the middle of your defense. doesn't seem likely that you're going to find that guy in the third round. Uh, But in terms of like Cordero Patterson's production, particularly as a running back, yeah, like I feel like here's a very high hit rate, a very high percentage chance that a third round running back can come in here and give you at least 600, 700, if not 800 or more rushing yards this upcoming season right away. Now, you can certainly say that it's not just that, uh, you know, running back. Uh, production that you're losing if you lose Cordero Patterson and you're absolutely right. And a rookie running back is probably not going to come in and give you the 500 plus receiving yards that Cordero Patterson had. And, and, but I kind of look at it and say when you're like, okay, yeah, Cordero Patterson is definitely a, a unique and, and, and very gifted pass catcher, but there's it's not like there's a shortage of, of good receiving running backs that are going to be on the open market this offseason. There are plenty of guys that can certainly give you value in the screen game. There's not many guys that are you're going to be able to line up outside and give you the production that Cordero Patterson gave you like we saw in that Washington game, like we saw in that Uh, Saints game and whatever the case may be. So you are losing that, but I also kind of feel like you can probably replace that with a relatively cheap wide receiver. That's going to give you a handful of those, you know, big plays on on fade balls or whatever the case may be. And so I just kind of look at it and I say like, you know, you're probably not going to get that all wrapped up in the one player that you're getting in Cordero Patterson, the running back, the outside wide receiver, the dynamic pass catcher, as well as the kickoff return guy. But I feel like you can probably realistically replace all three of those, you know, or all four of those skill sets with, you know, three or four players and probably do it for much cheaper than you're probably going to wind up paying Cordero Patterson is kind of the point I'm trying to make. And I, like, I feel like all in all, like I can get comparable. I, like, basically I can get like 75% of what Cordero Patterson is bringing to the table for probably like three. Or, or so million dollars. And so therefore I, I kind of feel like you kind of have to set your price for Carrero Patterson and be like maybe four, four and a half million dollars instead of the sort of six, seven, eight million dollars. That I've seen people, various people throw around as potential price points for him. And I'm just like, you, you just kind of go at, you set your price and you say, you know, you cordero take it or leave it or whatever the case may be you're allowed to test the market you need something better then by all means you know give us an opportunity to match it because you know maybe he gets like 4.8 and you say okay like yeah we can go to 4.8 or whatever the case may be but like you know you you let him test the market and if if he gets a better offer elsewhere then you just say look we, we feel like this you know role in our offense even if it's spread out among three players is only worth you know x amount of dollars and so you let him test the market in that way. And that's kind of how I feel about it. Again, I'm not trying to sit here and make the case that the Falcons shouldn't resign Cordero Patterson. I'm just trying to make the case that the Falcons should probably play a little bit harder ball when it comes to this negotiation, because it's just kind of the nature of the position that Cordero Patterson now plays, which is running back, um, which is, it's kind of a dime a dozen position, you know, wide receivers, getting closer to being a dime a dozen position, but finding guys that can be uh, productive, you know, certainly right away in the NFL is not something that's easy to come by. Uh, And that was one of the things we talked about in a previous episode when we did the wide receiver year review. So that's kind of me explaining my hot take Obviously, I'm sure, you know, that will uh, cause people in the comments to, you know, either agree, disagree or or whatever the case may be. And again, this is a conversation that we can unpack and we can go into further detail as we get closer to free agency when we really start to key in on what the Falcons should or should not do in free agency. But I'm just kind of laying the groundwork where I just haven't seen a whole lot of conversations about whether or not the Falcons should re-sign cordero Patterson, It's just really about can they re-sign him? Can they afford him? Is he going to price himself out of Atlanta? All these various things. Rather than like, I think, you know, if he does, then so be it. Like, you know, that price tag, I think, is just kind of worth X amount of dollars. And if he wants Y amount of dollars, then, you know, good luck to you, cordero Patterson. But I I feel like the Falcons should be really reasonably confident that they can get comparable value Uh, for basically the same amount of money that they paid Cordero Patterson this past year, which was like $3 million. So that's kind of my hot take of the day. Uh, Do with it as you will. But we will wrap up today's episode by getting into, you know, returning back to Thomas Morstead, Young Way Koo and Josh Harris, all guys that I don't think the Falcons should play hardball with. But we'll talk about what their potential price points are. Could be as we wrap up today's year-in positional review of the Falcons special teams here on Lockdown Falcons. But I want to thank you guys first for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. And I always have recommendations for what your second listen should be. And of course, why not check out any of the local shows here on the Lockdown Podcast Network covering the Atlanta Hawks, Lockdown Hawks, Lockdown Braves, Lockdown Bulldogs, etc. And you can find all those shows on the same podcast platforms that you find Lockdown Falcons, including Lockdown Braves and Lockdown Bulldogs, now free and available on YouTube. So today's episode is also brought to you by Rock Auto, because with ever increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer when you already have access to rockauto.com at home or in your pocket, you can save time and money When using Rock Auto instead of spending up to twice as much for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership, Rock Auto is a family business serving do it yourselfers for over 20 years with reliably low prices for every customer. They have everything you could possibly need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And when you do, write locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So let's talk about these three main specialists and, and what the Falcons should do as they approach free agency. And I, I feel much more confident and comfortable that the Falcons will resign all three. And to be re- for the record, I do still feel optimistic that the Falcons will be, can keep Cordero Patterson. I just think they probably should be a little bit more frugal than I than probably most people think they should be. And part of the reason why I, I'm optimistic that they will resign Cordero Patterson is because I don't think they'll be as frugal as I would be in that situation. Uh, you know, my my philosophy is hope for one thing, and then the Falcons will ultimately disappoint you uh, and, <laughs> and go and zig when you expect to be Zach. But that's a conversation, again, that we'll unpack further uh, for another day. But talking about the three other free agents hitting the market, Josh Harris, uh, Thomas Morrison and young Koo, you know, I, I feel like Harris should be able to be relatively resigned. We don't often see teams... Uh, struggling to re sign long snappers. And you look at, I think, a recent uh, contract extension that the Chiefs gave to their long snapper this past November, who's roughly the same age as Josh Harris. It was like averaging about $1.35 million a year. And I feel like, you know, the Falcons should be able to afford giving Harris a comparable, you know, multi year contract worth that amount. Maybe they can go lower than that and just basically up the amount of guaranteed money, uh, you know, as part of that deal uh, if, if they can. So I think. It, they should be res- relatively easy to keep Josh Harris. Uh, there seems to be no signs that Josh Harris wants to leave Atlanta. And I hopefully there's no signs that the Falcons want Josh Harris to leave Atlanta. And then you come to Thomas Morehead, who is getting up there in ages at around age 35. Um, but I, I think there's no reason to think that, if he wants to keep playing, that he he couldn't play another four or five years. Now, I don't think the Falcons necessarily need to sign him to a four or five year contract. Uh, maybe they sign him to a two or three year contract if you know he's you know if they don't want to uh, give him a one year deal. If he wants a little bit more security than a one year deal, whatever the case may be. And again, I don't know exactly what that price tag is going to be, but typically punters of his caliber around his age have cap hits in between one and a half and two and a half million. So if that's like a two year, $5 million contract or a two year, $4 million contract or whatever the case may be, that feels right uh, for Thomas Morstead at this point in time. So I feel like uh, that's a good price point for him. As for Youngwei young way uh, this is where it's going to be a little bit tougher because the price tag for kickers just went up a little bit because we've seen some new, uh, new deals signed by kickers in the last 12 months, guys like Daniel Carlson Carlson of the Raiders, and Jason Sanders, I think with the Dolphins, uh, they got deals that were averaging around four and a half million dollars a year. And the difficulty was signing young way to a long term contract as a restricted free agent, which is something certainly an option that the Falcons could explore. Is that kicker contracts typically aren't backloaded. And and what that means is, you know, typically, let's say you're you sign a three-year contract worth $12 million a year. So average is $4 million a year. And the way that most people sort of look at these contracts and say, oh, your average $4 million a year, your cap hits gonna be $4 million, $4 million, $4 million for years one, two, and three. But the way that teams typically backload contracts in the NFL is that instead of that being four, four, and four, it's usually two four and six like that's what it means where it's backloaded where the the contract goes up each and every year and it's heavily weighted uh towards the end of the contract um to being a higher sort of amount of money but the way with kickers work is typically they don't have backloaded contracts so it is much more likely to be that four four and four figure in the case of a kicker or more accurately it's probably going to be like three and a half four and four and a half and so because of that reason i don't think the falcons um, if they sign Young Two to a sort of typical market deal for a kicker of his caliber, which would be in that four and a half million dollar range, I don't think it's gonna save them all that much money than it would if they just wound up uh signing him to his restricted free agent tender. And let me explain how restricted free agency works. Um, you know, typically what happens is that you a team, if you're a guy, if your player is a restricted free agent, you choose to tender him at certain levels right? Um, and what happens is restricted free agents, like unrestricted free agents, are free to sign with other teams. But if a team tenders their restricted free agent, they have the right of first refusal. And what that means is let's let's use young Waku in a hypothetical example. let's say young Waku is is tired of people like me confusing the real GSU in uh, saying Georgia State is the real GSU rather than Georgia Southern. He's tired of, uh, you know, Falcon fans disrespect him. He wants to go play for a place that really understands that the real GSU is Georgia Southern. Again, this is a hypothetical situation. Just go with me here, guys. Um, and he says, I'm going to sign with the Colts. And the Colts are like, yeah, bring him on. We want young Waiku. He'll be great for us. And they let's say they sign him to like a three-year, $12 million contract, or whatever the case may be, because he's a restricted free agent. Like If he was an unrestricted free agent, he would just be a cult that day once he signed the contract. But in restricted free agent, what that is, that contract is an offer sheet. And when you have the right of first refusal because you tendered a player, the Falcons basically have seven days to match that contract. And if they do decide to match that contract after seven days, then the Falcons will keep Young-Wei Koo, on a three-year, $12 million deal. If they choose not to keep him, then he will sign with the Colts on a three-year, $12 million deal. And the Colts will then owe the Falcons compensation in the form of a draft pick, which is determined by what his tender level is. And there's three different levels of tenders. There's the first-round tender, uh, there's the second-round tender, and there's the original pick tender. And as you can probably guess, the first-round tender, the compensation would be a first-round pick. The second-round tender, the compensation would be a second-round pick. And the original pick tender is based off of when the player was originally drafted. So if, if Young-Wei Koo was a fifth-round pick, the Colts would owe him a, the Falcons a fifth-round pick. But because Young-Wei Koo is an undrafted free agent, the Colts would owe the Falcons nothing. Um, and because he wasn't drafted. And so this is part of the reason why the Falcons almost certainly when they do tender Wei Koo this offseason are going to tender Wei Koo at the second round level so that it basically prevents another team from signing him to an offer sheet and then basically the Falcons getting nothing in return. And they would be either forced to let him walk for nothing, or they have to match him at a contract they probably are not too comfortable with matching him at. Uh, so you're almost certainly guaranteed that Youngway Koo will get the second round tender. So a team would have to give the Falcons a second round pick, and you know, outside of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not many teams are willing to give up second round picks uh, for a kicker. So it pretty much guarantees that no team is going to sign Youngway Koo, and he'll be back this year. But that second round tender is three point like nine eight six million dollars. So let's say four million dollars. And again. If we're signing him to a multi-year contract that's averaging, say, let's again $4.5 million or $4 million or whatever the case may be, then that first-year salary is probably going to be somewhere around $3.5 million. So you're only really saving about half a million dollars by signing him to a long-term contract. And so therefore, I don't really think it makes that much sense that the Falcons would feel compelled to sign Young-Waiku to a multi-year contract rather than just giving him a one-year tender and then having the opportunity, particularly in the 2020 Three all season where the Falcons should have considerably more cap space to pay young way the long term contract that he's deserved, so I think you just give him basically that one year four million dollar contract uh again, maybe the Falcons could be creative with how they structure it, maybe uh if they offer you know to get into negotiations with young Wei Koo, maybe they could get him to sign something considerably below market that you know maybe is less than four and a half million dollars a year, but maybe it's like three point seven five million dollars a year, then I think the Falcons would be incentivized to sign him to a long-term contract. But outside of those circumstances, I just think the Falcons it just there's not a whole lot of cap space that you're saving uh by trying to sign him to a long-term contract. So you just kind of give him the one year contract. And 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 again, if you do do give him the one year free agent tender at four million dollars. You still have many, many months to negotiate. A long-term contract that could wind up saving the Falcons more money if they need, you know, that five hundred thousand dollars or maybe a million dollars in cap space at a later date. Uh, but I think probably the plan, at least initially, is to give Young Weeku that restricted free agent tender. So um, all that to explain: there's almost zero percent chance um, that Young Weeku is walking this offseason, regardless of what the Falcons do. So he should be back in 2022. The question is, is going to be at some point in the next. Let's say 13 months. The Falcons are going to have to probably re-sign Youngway to Youngway to a long-term contract, and I, I feel reasonably confident that that will, you know, go relatively smoothly at the point uh, at the opportune time when it when it comes. But uh, uh, I don't think the Falcons need to feel rushed to do that. You know, in the next six weeks uh, before free agency kicks off. Um So that's kind of where we'll leave it here, guys, with the Falcons special teams year in review. We are now done. With reviewing the 2021 season, of course, there's still a whole lot to talk about when it comes to free agency, whether we're talking about Patterson and some of these specialists, uh, as well as so many other players like Oluokun Olu- Olu- and, and Russell Gage, etc. Uh, and we'll get into more of that as we get closer uh, to, I think, what, March 16th uh, is when free agency kicks off. So I guess four weeks away, not six weeks away. Um, and so... We'll just sort of have to see how that unfolds. And, and we still have more to come on upcoming episodes. We can probably uh, do a Q&A if you guys want for tomorrow's episode. Uh, so if you want to send in your questions, you can do so via Twitter or Facebook at Lockdown Falcons via email at Lockdown Falcons at mail.com. You can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. Uh, so that's what we'll possibly and probably do on tomorrow's episode, answer uh, some mailbag questions with some Wednesday wisdom, uh, if you want to call it, you know, to get that alliteration going. Uh, but, uh, you know, no alliteration here, but I'll go ahead and plug <laughs> with a really bad segue. Uh, the Locked on Bets podcast, um, where you can get handicapping expert Lee Sterling's uh, daily picks as well as specials and lock a day. And just because football season over is not, uh, any indication that Lee is not going to have uh, those, you know, bet recommendations for you on the lockdown bets podcast. And of course you can find lockdown bets on the same podcast platforms that you are currently listening uh, to a lockdown Falcons on. So guys, I appreciate it until then.